and welcome to this bonus episode of the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this special bonus Ask an Expert episode, I am joined by Dr. Danae Lim. A cosmetic physician with over 14 years of medical experience, Dr. Lim is an undisputed skin expert and also has a background in emergency, so her approach to skin is vigilant, safe and well-rounded, with a deep understanding that the health of the skin goes well beyond its appearance. Away from our regular brand founder conversations, I am asked so many highly specific questions about the skin. Now, given that I am an educated consumer, but by no means an expert, it would be extremely unethical for me to even attempt to address your skin concerns, which is why I insist on taking those questions to a medical doctor. This Ask an Expert series is giving you, the Glow Journal audience, unprecedented access to medical doctors, professors and dermatologists. And although the series is sponsored by Candela Medical, doctors legally and ethically have to remain completely objective in episodes like this. For this reason, this series is the most authentic way for me to integrate branded content into the podcast because it's giving you, the listeners, completely unbiased expert answers to your most specific skin questions, which are questions that I just cannot answer myself. As mentioned, this episode is sponsored by Candela Medical. However, all of Dr. Lim's views are entirely her own and as per any interview with a doctor, you will hear absolutely no specific product recommendations throughout this episode. Given the state of the world at the moment, this interview was recorded remotely, which is why you will hear a big discrepancy in the quality of the audio. There may be a few answers that are quite difficult to hear, and for this I do apologise, but I am so committed to bringing you guys the answers to your questions despite current constraints. So what I've done is I've made the entire episode transcript available on glowjournal.com so you can read any of the answers that you might miss. So think of it like a podcast with subtitles. To find that transcript, just visit glowjournal.com and search Candela Medical. In this episode, we have taken the questions you submitted on melasma to Dr. Lim. From what causes it and how to treat it, through to the impact of the sun and even birth control on the health of the skin. So firstly, what is melasma? Okay, so melasma is a chronic condition and it's acquired. Um, it's mostly to do with skin pigmentation. Malas in Greek actually means black, and if you go back far, uh, if you go far back enough, you will find that melasma is commonly known as the Moscow pregnancy. So it's usually characterized by dark and well-defined areas of pigment, especially in darker skin types, mostly because the pigment cells are bigger and more active. And these patches occur in sun-exposed areas, which is usually on the face, but it can occur on the body. It's also what we call a recurring condition. So it comes back after exposure to the triggers. And that means that it can be controlled, but not cured. Mm-hmm. So I imagine this is probably different for everyone, but what actually causes melasma? 
Well, we've been trying to find out for a very long time. We don't know exactly what causes it, but there appears to be a genetic component. So many people who have melasma will find that they've got family members who also have it, in particular their female relatives. But men can also have melasma. We know triggers make it worse, so think of it as having pigment cells that react really um, in an exaggerated fashion to a stimulus. Most of the time that means sun, sun exposure, hormones, some kind of physical trauma, stress, chronic illness, even dietary changes. It actually varies quite greatly across individuals. Okay. I had a few people submit questions who just weren't sure if what they had was melasma or if it was just, I mean, in inverted commas, sorry, regular redness. So how can we differentiate between redness and sensitivity and melasma? So melasma is predominantly still a pigmentation disorder. You have to have some pigmentation in order to be diagnosed as melasma. But having said that, skin conditions do occur on a continuum and there's always some overlap in the condition. Um, you have to have the hallmark patches of the pigment on the sun exposed areas for the classic diagnosis. With regards to redness and sensitivity, we do know that melasma has an inflammatory component. That means that the skin is often damaged and there's inflammation of blood vessels. And in addition to that, the skin makes um, too much pigment after exposure to sun, hormones, or stress. So while people who have melasma can have redness, um, ultimately, there has to be the classic pigment changes. And things like dermatitis, rosacea, or just highly reactive blood vessels, they all have underlying um, processes that can be treated, but if it's not pigment, you cannot call it melasma. Okay. So before we get into the treatment of melasma, is there any way that we can prevent melasma from occurring? Well, as I mentioned earlier, you can control it. You cannot cure it. Um, it's highly dependent on genetics and lifestyle. And the best way to prevent this would be to, uh, would be to have a good skincare routine, which builds up the health of the skin and the need to tone down the inflammation from sun or other environmental damage and absolutely meticulous sun protection. This reduces the severity of the melasma when it occurs, but um, may not ultimately be avoidable. And a lot of people don't actually know if they have melasma until they um, experience major stress or pregnancy. That's what we call it an acquired disease, despite having a strong genetic influence. You're actually not born with it. Okay. So very, very top level, but can you talk me through some of the most common and I guess readily available treatment options? Now, um, contrary to popular belief, laser is actually not the first line treatment and can in fact cause problems when used inappropriately. Mm -hmm. With melasma, it's very complex and we have to be careful and build it up from the basis. I always start with skincare and meticulous sun, sun care as the absolute minimum. In fact, the healthier the skin, the easier it is to think about even stronger skincare products because those can actually irritate the skin and make the problem worse. So I would say medical treatment is first line. That usually means some kind of prescription strength treatments with pigment correctors and peels or even oral tablets to lighten the pigment but you have to see a professional to, uh, to decide what's right for you. And other clinical treatments can include laser and microneedling, but they all have varying degrees of success and control. So you may have to change the treatments every couple months or combination treatment is required because there are many different aspects that need to be targeted for the best results. The ultimate aim is still to reduce the severity and the frequency of recurrence. 
Mm-hmm. You've just given out my favorite piece of advice for everything, which is go and see a professional. If you've got any major skin concerns, that should always be step one is to see an expert. What would you suggest is the most economical treatment option? Not necessarily economical upfront, but taking into account things like repeat visits or prescriptions or whatever it might be. I think many people are surprised, but good skincare is actually the most cost-effective for treating okay. skin conditions. It can be melasma, sun damage, acne, which we're not talking about, but a good routine which incorporates the basic anti-aging ingredients, vitamins A, B, and C. It acts to slough off the excess pigment, repair the skin damage, protect against extra um, or excess ultraviolet ray exposure, and also calm the skin. So if you add pigment correctors on top of that, Um, it enhances the results and good hydration is also very understated. Hydrated skin is half the battle won. It's less likely to get irritated, which is very important because melasma has has an inflammatory component. This all has to be balanced with skin sensitivity and whether it's used consistently, which is the key to treatment. Now, the majority of the audience had the same question. That question being, is laser the solution? You have touched on how that isn't going to work for everyone, but at what point should we start looking into laser as a treatment? Now, I would say that laser is actually not the first line treatment. So mm-hmm. with laser, I would still opt to prepare the skin and make sure it's strong enough to take the relatively high energy that required, um, that's required to reduce pigmentation. But um, as to when you step up to that, so it really depends on the health of the skin and there are other things you can do like chemical peels or um, microneedling, which I won't really touch on here because it's still quite a controversial topic and there's no treatment that's 100% effective in melasma. Mm-hmm. If we were stepping it up to laser, what kind of laser treatment would we be looking at and how would that work? Now, the most common lasers for treating melasma would be the Q-switch laser and picosecond laser. There are other types, but these are the most common. Both of these are high-energy lasers that have a very short pulse duration. So a lot of energy is transmitted in a very short period of time, and it targets pigmentation either to heat it up and vaporize it or shatter the pigment into very small fragments. So whatever is left, the body then mops up all the residual fragments over time. This has to be titrated very carefully such that only the pigment is destroyed and you don't actually harm the surrounding tissues. Otherwise, you get burned or the skin makes more pigment in response to the, uh, to the damage. One of our listeners has asked how they should go about treating their melasma when they also suffer from post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. Now, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, or what we know as PIH, usually occurs after some kind of trauma, which occurs after skin inflammation, as the name um, suggests. So it can be a sunburn, laser treatments, or inappropriately performed chemical peels. It's actually not quite that different to melasma, except the pigment's more likely to be superficial. Um, and in melasma, it's more a mixed picture of deep and superficial pigments. And treatment still starts with application of the correct skin products, building it up and reviewing the skin sensitivity, then deciding whether peels, laser, or microneedling is actually um, more appropriate. So it depends on the clinical response. So it goes back to seeing a professional to review the skin. The most important thing. I have touched on this in previous episodes, but I do think it's worth discussing again because I know that some people are still a little bit 
I guess, fearful of lasers. What is the effect of heat from the laser on the skin and more specifically on melasma? Now, there are no studies that demonstrate the effect of heat on melasma itself, but I've had many patients say their melasma flares up in summer, even if they stayed indoors and avoided the sun completely. I do believe that heat can make melasma flare up. And as we've just mentioned, lasers work by either destroying the pigment with heat or shattering it into smaller fragments mechanically. There's always some heat produced with both cases. And my preference is a faster picosecond laser because that just produces minimal heat compared to more conventional lasers. And it's more for my peace of mind. And I've seen enough cases to know that in the wrong hand, lasers can cause problems. Yeah, so it goes back to operator experience and, and just have to see someone who knows what they're doing. Well, we trust you. You're the expert. With these treatments that you have just touched on, are they permanent or does the client need to come back for maintenance? Now, we have to realize the skin is the biggest organ of the human body and it responds um, fantastically to the environment we live in. So um, melasma is a recurring condition. For best results, patients do need to maintain a very strict skincare routine and some avoidance. That's regardless of whatever treatment they choose. The good news is um, the better that is done, the less frequent the maintenance treatments need to be. So the short answer is yes, they do require maintenance and the results are not permanent simply because of the skin, um, the way the skin behaves. It's a living organ. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that melasma is most common on the face, but it can occur on the body as well. Is there a difference in the way that you would approach treatment of melasma on the face as compared to the body? Yes and no. The face is more exposed to the sun on, um, as, as the body can be covered up mostly. So I would be extremely stringent on sun protection in both cases. But for the body, I don't necessarily um, require patients um, be treated with a lot of prescription skin lighteners because it's more difficult to apply consistently to a closed area. And treatment on the face is probably likely to work better as well because there's better blood circulation and there's faster turnover compared to other parts of the body. But um, the long story short is I will probably treat uh, body um, melasma with laser or something at an earlier stage, but um, also it takes a longer time to clear. That's what I would say. You've just mentioned skin lighteners, which is interesting because I had a lot of people ask questions about peels. So I guess top line, can a really good peel work to fade melasma? Will that work at all? Yes, but that is actually a trick question. A peel when done properly can fade melasma, but it has to be balanced with skin sensitivity. What you mean by a good peel is something that's strong enough to produce results, but it has to not burn the skin. Stronger peels can burn the skin and cause rebound pigmentation from the perceived trauma because it is, in fact, a, a chemical burn. Okay. So again, we've just got to make sure who we're seeing is, is a real expert. What about a combination of treatments? Is that advisable? Yes, combination treatment is actually ideal because we can use different treatments at a lower intensity and get results while we're getting the um, advantages of each treatment without experiencing severe side effects. Often medical treatments also plateau after a while. So a clinical treatment can then be performed to boost the results to the next level and the products can be switched around to target other aspects of the condition. Because melasma, as you know, is very complex. So we do have to switch things around. Mm-hmm. 
something that came up quite a lot, which I can't even pronounce, is something called hydroquinone. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but I believe it's a topical bleaching agent. Firstly, what is it? And secondly, is it effective at all in treating melasma? Yes, hydroquinone, and you've got the pronunciation perfect. Oh, fantastic. It's one of the best topical agents for treating melasma. So it blocks the production of pigment in several different chemical pathways. But again, it can irritate the skin. So you need to build up the skin, balance the skin sensitivity, and you have to um, increase the tolerance uh, gradually. It can cause hypopigmentation, which is um, like patches of white spots if it's used for a long period of time in darker skin types. So you need a break from time to time. And again, um, you have to make sure to see a professional because most of that is prescription strength anyway. I firmly believe that seeing a professional is the most important first step with just about anything. But for people that perhaps don't want to go straight to a professional, and I suppose, you know, given the situation we currently find ourselves in, that may not be an option for a lot of people. Are there any products we can use to treat melasma at home? Uh, yes, absolutely. So even over the counter without um, prescription, you can get things like uh, vitamin B and C for the morning because that doesn't sensitize your skin to the sun. And for nighttime, you can actually use a, a weaker vitamin A provided the skin is not that sensitive and it builds it up. So once some um, people find that the results plateau, you can actually go see a professional and step it up from there and get the prescription strength or the really strong stuff. But like I said, we do have to um, seek advice from a professional when that happens. Mm -hmm. I imagine the answer to this might be the same as what you've just said. But if we have had a professional treatment, are there any products or even just specific ingredients that we should be using to maintain those results? We've mentioned a few so far. There are others. Um, several come to mind. So apart from hydroquinone, vitamins A, B and C, there's also things like arbutin, kojic acid just to name a few, but um, best to see a professional because the concentration of the ingredients and how they're formulated do matter and everyone's skin sensitivity is different. Another thing that I was asked quite a bit about on the home care front was diet. Is it at all possible to improve the appearance of melasma through dietary changes alone? This is a difficult one to answer. Again, large-scale studies have not been done on diet affecting melasma. So I'm basing it more on my patient experiences. Some of my patients actively avoid processed sugar, gluten, things that are commonly known to cause um, food intolerances. Whether it's the actual food or that the fact um, food intolerances causes what we call um, a pro-inflammatory state, which can affect um, worsening of the melasma. I do not know. but um, suppose um, tongue-in-cheek switch to dark chocolate if you're worried. <laughs> no, I'll, I will take that on board. I'll absolutely be, um, I might up my dark chocolate intake just to be safe. Overall, is there a cure for melasma or is it really just about managing it? There is no cure per se. It can be controlled to a manageable level, but avoiding triggers and maintaining a good skincare routine with sun avoidance and the occasional clinical treatment um, usually keeps people quite happy. You've mentioned avoiding the sun quite a few times. Now, my audience seemed to be pretty aware that sun exposure and melasma are inextricably linked. So I'm very glad that my listeners are staying out of the sun. Why are the two linked? 
Now, our skin produces pigment directly in response to the sun. This is partly to protect it against damaging ultraviolet damage. This process is magnified by degrees in people with melasma, and sun exposure is possibly the biggest trigger for pigmentation production. Is a physical or a chemical sunscreen better for managing melasma? I definitely prefer a physical sunscreen, um, but it needs to be applied generously and um, at the correct intervals. So half a teaspoon for the face and neck and reapplied every two hours to clean skin if you're out in the sun. Now zinc, um, zinc oxide and titanium dioxide are the main ingredients of these. And the reason is um, a physical sunscreen forms a layer on the skin, which reflects the ultraviolet rays. It doesn't allow a lot of penetration when applied correctly. For example, an SPF of um, 15 is a 92% blockout. SPF of 30 and above would be 97 to 98. It never reaches 100%. But if you add a vitamin C under all that, then you get pretty good protection of the skin, whether it's from um, skin damage or from the sun or, or melasma prevention. There are um, very well-made chemical sunscreens, and they do feel more elegant and lighter on the, on the skin. But this can still cause skin irritation because chemical sunscreen needs to go directly on the skin before any other skincare product. And it also works by converting ultraviolet radiation into heat which if heat is an issue, it can exacerbate melasma because there's always a low level of heat. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a double whammy per se. Right. You have just mentioned vitamin C, so I have a sneaking suspicion that might pop up again here. But what would you say is the number one product outside of sunscreen that you would recommend people use if they want to reduce the appearance of melasma? Now, if it's purely to reduce the appearance, I would say a cosmetic foundation like a BB cream. It's not treatment, but uh -huh. it's purely cosmetic. But if we're talking about actual reduction in the pigment, I would still have to recommend seeing a professional for prescription skin lighteners because skin sensitivity can really be a huge issue. Definitely. And it's one of those things that can even change with the season. While we are still on sun exposure, a question only one person asked, but I'm sure a few can relate to. They said, will my skin be okay in my 30s and 40s from all of the mistakes I've made in my 20s? Now, the skin does have a very good regenerative capacity, but sun damage can cause DNA damage, which gives rise to problems like skin cancer. This is especially so in the Australian climate where people by the age of 75, two in three people would have some form of skin cancer. So the bottom line is it's never too late to start practicing good sun care and most likely genetics and the skin type will be the main determining factors in how well someone ages. Darker skin types have more pigment, which in this case is protective against both sun damage and skin cancer. But a, a good skincare regime, um, like I've stated above, it's not just for the treatment of, uh, treatment of pigment. It's a very good overall anti-aging routine that helps repair the end as well. And also get your mole checks regularly. And it's very good advice. Another thing that my audience have linked to melasma, other than sun exposure, the other big one was pregnancy and hormones. You touched on this earlier, but why do so many women experience dark melasma during pregnancy? Pregnancy is a classic trigger, as you know, and it's what the name melasma comes from. Many women don't have issues until they get pregnant or they find it worsens significantly during pregnancy. Hormones fluctuate wildly during pregnancy, and it extends even to the breastfeeding period. And this is a very powerful trigger for stimulating pigment production. 
one of my listeners who does have melasma asked if she should wait until after falling pregnant and having children to get her melasma treated, whether that's by laser or another professional solution, because she's worried it might come back worse post-pregnancy and the initial, initial sorry, treatment will have just been a waste of time. What would your advice be on that? Now, this is a very personal choice. It depends on how much the melasma bothers her and how many children she's planning to have and whether she's happy to wait till after she has children. Melasma often improves after pregnancy and breastfeeding as the hormones stabilize. Now, there are a few products that cannot be used during pregnancy, but she can still definitely maintain it in between pregnancies until she's ready for clinical treatments, including laser. Um, again, do see a professional because um, that's the only way you can decide what's the safest and more stable plan. Sure. A handful of listeners asked if their melasma might improve if they were to go off the contraceptive pill. It differs across individuals and also due to the type of the pill. Some pills maintain a stable hormone level, while others cause fluctuations that mimic the menstrual cycle. So if their melasma worsened after they got on the pill, they can perhaps ask the GP to switch to another type of pill to see if it improves. And barring that, um, alternative forms of contraception may need to be considered if it's not avoidable. And that's a difficult one because some people don't actually take the pill for contraception. They may need it to help with other medical conditions. Mm. Pill aside, I had another listener who asked if um, contraception can affect melasma as she thinks that her melasma got worse after she got the Mirena. That's definitely possible because Mirena is a hormonal intrauterine device that releases a stable um, level of progestin after insertion. Now, the alternative is a copper intrauterine device that doesn't release hormones if she wants a long-term contraception. What treatments would you say are safe during pregnancy and breastfeeding? Generally, vitamins B and C topical treatments are um, quite safe. Arbutin is quite safe in pregnancy. It's dermatology um, approved. Um, both uh, it's safe during both pregnancy and breastfeeding. But as I said, when in doubt, please see a professional. And Absolutely. And still a must. Mm-hmm. To wrap up, there is so much information out there about what you should do to treat melasma, but what are some of the things you should not do? The general principles is don't go out into the sun, but many many melasma sufferers will instinctively do that anyway. Now, the main thing is don't buy random products or attempt strong treatments at home without consulting a professional. Have a consult and don't walk into a clinic expecting to have a laser or other clinical treatment the same day. Most of these need pre-treatment with the correct products anyway. So the main thing is to be patient and do it safely. Melasma is a chronic condition and even in the most experienced hands, unexpected things can happen. That was Dr. Danae Lim, who you can find on Instagram at Dr. Danae Lim. You can discover more about Candela Medical, including the laser treatments that I personally swear by and rely on, at candelamedical.com forward slash au or on Instagram at candelamedicalanz. To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty lovers can find us. 
I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Blowdown Podcast and thank you for joining me.